Well, good morning. It's great to be with everybody, whether you're here today in person or online. Jason, am I on? Okay, good. Um, I just want to make sure I'm going out there. I know all you can hear me. I'm loud. Um, uh, well, if you're uh, uh, new to Crosswinds today, my name is Ken, and it's a, I have the joy of being the, the pastor here at Crosswinds, and, and we, we're doing a lot of fun stuff. Uh, uh, they mentioned the clothing exchange. There's 40 new families that are coming this uh, next week so far. Register. We have room for more, and we're excited to be back and doing that. We had a youth event here. I have to tell you, parents, you guys have a great group of kids that, that came here on, on, on Friday night. We just were running all over this place and playing games. They wore me out. I'm actually tired today from Friday, um, but we had fun. And uh, they're our future leaders here at Crosswinds, and uh, our goal is to build up people here from the youngest to the oldest to help us with our mission, to help every family discover God, His love, and His ways. And today, if you're new, I want you to know that this is a place where you will find God's love and His grace, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're conservative, or whether you're liberal, whether you're black or white or brown, whether you consider yourself gay or straight or you're confused, whether you love Jesus or whether you're just checking Jesus out today, Crosswinds is a place where you will be accepted and where you'll be respected because you matter to God and because he loves you. And he's proved that by sending his son. You know, our message today is more than a prophet. Now, there's a graphic, a title graphic, where there's a bunch of people pointing at themselves with kind of the expression, who me? And, um, you know, we will only have peace and fulfillment in our lives when, when we have a, a full knowledge of who God really is and, and when we really understand what he, how he feels about us and what he wants for us. You know, for many of us, it's easy to say that God is love, but it's another thing to really know that. And and for many of us, it's one thing to say that I am loved by God, and it's another thing to really believe that. Many of us want or hope for that to be true, but do we really understand the awesome reality of that? Sometimes we religiously speak the right words. But Jesus, the God who entered our world as flesh, says things in a way that nobody else has ever said them. And he teaches his disciples in a way that is really mind-blowing if we'll think past religious jargon in texts like we're going to study today. I believe this text holds some truths for us that if we will fill our hearts and and wonder at it, will fill us with great joy and and an understanding of God's love for us that that might make us stand back and go, who, me? So today, please open your Bible or your Bible app to to Luke chapter 7. And and we're going to start today in, in verse 24. When when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You know, John the Baptist right now is in Herod's desolate prison. 
And, and so he sent some of his disciples, we learned last week, to, to Jesus to confirm that Jesus was the predicted one in Scripture. And, and John's disciples witnessed Jesus doing miracles, which are evidence of who he is, his identity, the, the things that are prophesied in Scripture of the Messiah's identity. You know, there are at least 332 distinct Old Testament predictions regarding the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled them all perfectly. The historical man, Jesus, was the unique Son of God. You know, a couple Sundays ago, I gave some evidence for the reliability of scriptures on Easter morning and, and, and on the eyewitness accounts of his death and his burial and his resurrection. See, the Bible is not uh, a, 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 an unreliable book. And it's not just one book, but it's a book of 66 books or letters written by 40 different authors on three different continents. And they wrote in uh, three different languages. And it was inspired by the Holy Spirit but it comes together perfectly thematically and uses foreshadowing or, or prophecy uh, of one central theme to reveal God's love for us perfectly in a hero of a story named Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, he's not mentioned by name. He's mentioned by what he will do. And there was a man by the name of Peter Stoner. And that doesn't describe what he did. He was actually a very straight arrow. He, he, he was a brilliant mathematician and a college professor. And he, he wrote a book called Science Speaks. And in it, Peter calculated the mathematical odds of one man in history, history fulfilling all of those biblical prophecies. But he did not use 332 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. He used only eight. And Mr. Stoner said the probability of one man fulfilling eight of these prophecies is one to the 17th power. That's one with a lot of zeros behind it, 17 zeros. To give you an idea of how, number, how large that number is, if you took and covered the state of Texas with silver dollars, it would cover the state of Texas two feet th- thick. And if you took one silver dollar and marked it and threw it out of an airplane and then walked in the state of te- Texas and picked up one silver dollar... That's the odds of one to the 17th power. Fulfilling in one man, just eight of the prophecies being true. Now, if you took 48, considered 48 of the prophecies, the odds becomes one to the 157th um, power. That number is believed to be close to the number of electrons in the known universe. And so take that same example, thinking of electrons and finding one electron out of the known universe. Some skeptics may say, well, Jesus just orchestrated those prophecies to, you know, you know, show he was the Messiah. No, he, he could have controlled that he came in town on a donkey. But how do you control, from a human perspective, the circumstances of your death or the place of your birth or what's happening while you're dying or how you die. Because from a human perspective, he was out of control at that point. And those things were all written four to five to six hundred years prior to those events. Jesus reveals his identity by doing miracles to comfort John 
and his disciples and, and to show who he is. And he sends them home. But the last thing he says to them is chilling. If you think about it, he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Or happier those who are humble enough to believe in me, believe in my identity. Even though Jesus is not what most people expect. He is not what the religious establishment expects. Because he's far too loving. He, he, he's far too merciful to those that most people consider sinners. And as soon as John's disciples leave, he, he asks the question of his disciples and of us. What did you go out to see? And Jesus is speaking of John the Baptist. What is he? What is this guy, John the Baptist? Some in Luke 3 were wondering if he was the Christ, if, if John was a, the Christ. He had a great following of people. But now John was isolated in Herod's prison. And, and Jesus' question is, why, why were so many people following this man? What made John so great? You know, today people follow people. They follow celebrities simply because they have big followings. Even if they do stupid stuff, they, they follow them. And Jesus is asking why they are following this man, John. What, what, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Something silly, a, a reed shaken by the wind? Since John is now in prison, was John just a flash in the pan celebrity? Was he, you know, just some, some foolish guy? Was he, was he a, was he a one hit wonder? Was he a lily vanilli? Was he somebody with no substance, a, a reed shaking in the wind? Just a curiosity because of his strange teaching, his, his dress, his diet, his asceticism? You know, the people, the disciples knew that John was a godly man of substance. Luke describes that he was full of the Holy Spirit from his birth. He was the son of a, a devoted priest, Zechariah. John was a man of deep conviction, bold in faith, and he preached to and he baptized thousands of people in the River Jordan as a sign of turning back to God and away from their sins. So he's not a reed shaking in the wind. And, and so Jesus, to get them thinking again, asks, then what did you go out to see? A, a, a man dressed in, in, in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing live in luxury and are in king's courts. And so now John, Jesus is, is contrasting John's character with weak-charactered rulers like Herod, who was his captor. People who lived in ease and, and comfort, hiding all their sins by their wealth and their power. But everybody knew that was not John. He lived open in the desert. He, he, he trusted in God for everything. Mark's gospel describes his lifestyle this way. John wore uh, camel, uh, a garment of ca camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. That's hardly soft clothing. I've never worn camel hair, but I don't think it's soft. And, and that's not privilege. He, he wasn't a privileged, fancy celebrity. Why then did thousands come out to hear him speak? So many people listened to John that the soft-clothed people like Herod became nervous 
about John speaking of their sins. That's why he was in prison. And so Jesus asks his disciple, why was this man taken so seriously? What made this man so special? And, and, and Jesus asks again, what then did you go out to see? And Jesus asks rhetorically, a prophet? Now, a prophet is, is someone who speaks on God's behalf. In the Old Testament, a prophet only needed to be listened to if they were accurate in what they said. In Deuteronomy 13, it, it says that inaccurate prophets that led people away from God were to be killed. They were under a death sentence. And God says this in Deuteronomy 18.20 about prophets. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word of the Lord has not spoken? When the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you need not be afraid of him. If, if the words of a prophet do not come true, what that's saying is they're irrelevant, and people do not need to obey them. But many people had obeyed John, and they had been baptized by him in the River Jordan. Why? Was what he's saying true? But yet many of the religious elite were rejecting him, like Herod. Yet they, they didn't completely dismiss him. They were curious about John. Why? Jesus is trying to get his disciples to think. See, often the true prophets were rejected by Israel because true prophets were honest in exposing the people's sin. You know, John the Baptist is actually revered in history. He was a historical figure. He was written about in the first century by the Roman uh, Jewish historian Josephus. You can read about him. He, he was considered a prophet in Islam and in Christianity and the Baha'i religion and Mandaism. So, so John is considered a true prophet. His, his life created a stir. And so Jesus answers his own question. He says, yes, I tell you, he is a prophet, and more than a prophet. This is he who is of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. John is not only a prophet. John was more than a prophet. He, he was a prophet who was prophesied about. Jesus quotes from Malachi 3.1 about his cousin John and his ministry. John's role was to come and prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah to come. If John then is a prophet, his words should have been heard by Israel, by Herod, by, 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 by the people of God. But, but Jesus is even going another level. He's saying he's much more than a prophet. He, he, he is the prophet that ushers in God. So the authority of his words should really be listened to. And, and Jesus is giving 
John, the highest endorsement ever given to any human being at this point in history. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. That's an amazing statement if you think about it. Because there's not even a book in the Bible called the book of the John of the Baptist. There are books, important books, long important books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, Moses wrote five of them in the Bible. All prophets. And you know, we really don't have a lot of detail about this guy, John the Baptist, and his ministry. Or we don't have much of his preaching recorded in Scripture. You know, there are not a lot of pretty fanciful words that people quote at Christmas time in their programs or at high religious holidays that John wrote. And yet Jesus calls him the greatest that was ever. Yet what we do have of John is rather blunt. And it rarely makes Instagram posts. I'll give you an example. This is John's preaching. You brood of vipers who warns you to flee the, from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for, for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what we got from John. John's message was one of repentance. That it's now time, right now, to turn from our sin and turn to God. That trusting in our religious heritage, no matter what it is, and trusting in our own good works will not save us from God's wrath because of our sin. John's message was urgent. John said the judgment was coming soon for those who would not turn quickly and trust in God's love and mercy. Why, with this blunt, short message, was John considered the greatest in history up till this point? Actually, all the other prophets' messages were similar, just a lot longer and more flowery. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Elijah, Moses, and Ezekiel called Israel to repent of sin and turn to God. Each of them faced rejection and persecution because of their message from God to the people who were stiff-necked. Was it because John drew bigger crowds that made him so great? No. This is what Jesus is wanting us to think about. No. It was because John actually saw the reality. He saw the reality of what every other prophet was talking about that made him great. John actually saw the promised deliverer that they were all talking about. He saw Jesus, God, who became flesh and entered our world to redeem us from the sin. The same one all the prophets had only spoken about throughout all the centuries. John actually got to be in his presence in the world. And that started from before he was born as a zygote-sized 
person in his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit made John jump for joy in Jesus' presence that the God of the universe, our Savior, had come to save us. John had the revelation of seeing Jesus, God in the flesh, knowing his identity and mission, and proclaiming, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John got to baptize the sinless Son of God in the Jordan River to fulfill all righteousness. And John heard the Father confirm his identity, saying, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. John saw the Holy Spirit descend bodily on him like a dove. For a moment, John stood in the presence of the Trinity. What made John great was not his speaking abilities, not his eccentric dress or his asceticism or the big crowds. What made John great was the revelation God allowed him to have of the greatness of Jesus and that he understood it. Does that make sense? When the Jews sent priests and Levites to ask John his identity, they asked whether he was a Christ, and John said no. John was not trying to play God. But they must have seen some great spiritual gift in him, so they asked, are you Elijah? And he said no. And they asked him if he was a prophet, and John humbly said no. John's greatness was that he understood the greatness of Jesus. And he he brought no glory to himself. When the Jews pressed him for an answer, he simply said, I am the one that Isaiah prophesied about, a voice who cries in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, to make in the desert a highway for our God, from Isaiah 43. See, it was the Pharisees. They were the ones who sent the Jews to question John's authority in baptizing people. And and, and John said, "I, I baptize with water, but among you stands one. You do not know, even he who comes after me, the straps of whom, sandals, I am not even worthy to untie. The reason Jesus said, John, is the greatest born among women is because John's revelation of Jesus' identity was the greatest. He understood Jesus to be the I am, the God of the universe who became flesh and walked among us. And John was completely humbled by that. That same Jesus sat in front of those disciples and asked the question, who did you come out to see? And then he makes another earth-shaking statement, if you will believe it today, about all his disciples and all who are truly his disciples, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, John the Baptist. Jesus is saying, as great as 
a prophet as John the Baptist was. No more than a prophet as John the Baptist was. Greater still is the least one of us in his kingdom today. The newest believer in this room today is greater than John the Baptist. The smallest child back in our Sunday school class who is a believer in the cross of Christ is greater than John the Baptist and all the prophets because of the revelation of God's mercy that came to us through the cross of Jesus Christ is what Jesus is saying. Are you pointing to yourself yet saying, who, me? If you believe what God's word says, you should be. Now, don't get a big head. Like John, it should humble you. For what made John great was not what he did, who he was, what earthly things he achieved. What made him great was the revelation of God's love and goodness that God would come to him, that God would become poor like one of us and come to our world and suffer and die for our sins. Well, well John preached a hard message, you brood of vipers. In, in Luke chapter 3, it states at the end, John preached Good news to people. See, he, he preached that God cared. And, and, and they were coming to the world to be merciful to all that would, would just turn to him. Prophets like Moses and Elijah and Isaiah all had had faith in a revelation of a, a, a future offspring of God that would come and, and deliver his people from our enemies, sin and death. And they believe that those who would turn to God and, and trust in a, a revelation of him by faith, like Abraham did, would be credited with righteousness and escape wrath, just wrath for their sin. John the Baptist trusted in a work that God would do. And, and he lived to see the day that that same deliverer would start his ministry. And, and John could testify to that. But, but friends, we, we have seen the actual revelation of God's mercy to us and we can testify to it. We can testify to the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the Son of God dying on the cross for the sins of all mankind, that he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and that he walked out three days later. Friends, when we share the gospel with somebody, when we share the three circles, we are preaching a better sermon than what John the Baptist had. You are more than the prophets of old. Their prophets, faith was only what they hoped would happen. Our faith is in Jesus, a man of history, the Son of God who accomplished something. If, if, their, if, if John's greatness was by revelation of Christ's greatness, our revelation is greater. The, the, the saints of old only had the words of the prophet inspired 
by the Holy Spirit to hear from God. But Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet. But in these latter days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance, the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the word of uh, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our, our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Beloved, in this text today, we have more than a prophet speaking to us. In our generation, we have the revelation of the actual words of the Son of God speaking to us in the person of Jesus Christ on the earth. The gospel accounts are the accounts of his life. In the events of his life are truths that sometimes we take for granted, but the saints of old can't scarcely imagine the wonders that they contain. Compared to John the Baptist, brothers and sisters, you are more than a prophet. The message you contain is more. When the prophets of old became filled with the Holy Spirit, that just happened to them from time to time. And sometimes it didn't happen and there were no prophets for hundreds of years. But for those now in the kingdom, when Jesus died on the cross, God did something new. The temple curtain was torn, representing the release of God's spirit from the temple. And, and, and the body of every believer became God's new temple. And God's spirit came to dwell, indwell, live daily in us to give us daily revelation God's word says that we are more than prophets. In 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, it says, As you come to him, living stones rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourself are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Like John the Baptist you are all special, great, chosen for a special task. And you are given the Holy Spirit like Him. But like Jesus, you are considered precious to the Father because of what the Son has done for you. In 1 Peter 2.16 it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myth when we made known to you the power of and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. While the prophets talked about things that they could only hope would happen. And they even faced the possibility of being told that they were wrong. Peter's saying, we witnessed with our eyes that these things were true. We witnessed Jesus' majesty and his words. They had direct revelation for three years of God's earthly ministry. They lived with him constantly. Jesus shared his heart, his mission, and his life with them. 
His disciples were more than prophets who spoke about a distant God that would someday save him. Jesus said that they were his friends. They were friends of God. In, in 2 Peter 1, 3, Peter says, Jesus promised his disciples something even more amazing. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life, godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That verse is promising that Jesus is promising all things necessary for abundant life for his followers right now. We don't cling to a future prophecy or revelation. We can know him now, today, in a way that the prophets could not have ever dreamed because of the Holy Spirit. He has called us to his own glory and excellence by defeating our sin and giving us uh, power over it in him. And the most amazing part to me, he has graced us with a new nature. He, he says we become partakers in divine nature. That means Jesus is sharing his nature with us. We become adoptive sons and daughters of God. Friends, that means you're much more than a prophet. He has promised uh, eternal life. He's promised that we'll be like him. In Romans 6, 5, it says, For we have been united with him in death, like as we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We will have a divine nature, a resurrected body like Christ. Attributes like Christ. Beloved, you have more revelation and more assurance in this sermon about the goodness and love that God has planned for you than all the prophets ever had. More than the greatest of them, John could ever have understood or hoped to believe, all because Jesus lived among us, died and rose again, and sent his spirit upon those disciples to reveal it to us and to you. The question is, will you believe it? Will you believe the good news God has for you and be more than a prophet too? Jesus asked this question to his disciples who at this point had less revelation than you do right now. Who did you come out to see? But this is really not a question about John. It's a question about what do you really believe about God? Because John's ministry wasn't about John. It was about Jesus. When, when all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the, the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him, by him. You know, people throughout history have been always been fascinated by holy men or 
or prophets who claim to know God. Would-be prophets always draw a crowd with their wild claims and their mysterious words. And people love to come and speculate and criticize and fantasize on their words. And so large crowds formed around John the Baptist. But there were two people in the crowd, two kinds of people. There were those who believed they were actually hearing from God. And then there were those who just enjoyed speculating and criticizing and debating his words. And the text says, when all the people, all the unwashed masses and the tax collectors heard John's message, they declared God right or just. They, they believed the prophet's words were true and they believed God was telling the truth. Now, tax collectors, they were notorious sinners. So what Luke is saying here is when the sinners and the everyday people heard the prophet's word, they agreed they were sinners. They agreed with what, <laughs> what John said, that they were um, a brood of vipers and they humbly needed to turn from their sin and let John baptize them, which represented the removal of their sin by God's mercy. They were accepting that God would save them from his wrath that they deserved for their sin. They, 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 they recognized that they, their sin deserved wrath and that God was just in, in, in his wrath towards them, but they also recognized his love and mercy. This was Jesus' message. This was about Jesus. This was Jesus' mission. They believed John, but they were accepting Jesus or they were being prepared to believe about Jesus. Our hearts are prepared to believe in Jesus and we become more than prophets when we agree with God about our own depravity compared to him. And that his wrath against us all is just. God's word says this in Romans 3, 1, 11 through 18. None of us is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are, like, are, swi- shift, are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There, there is no fear of God before their eyes. When John called them a brood of vipers, there was a group of people that knew they, they were. They knew the prophet's words were true. They didn't try to self-justify. They just simply turned their hearts to God and believed and received mercy and forgiveness. But there was another group he mentioned. The ones that really should have known better. After all, they they read all the law and the prophets constantly who had all said the same thing. But instead of humbly repenting and believing what God had spoken through the prophet, they were just there 
because the crowd was there so they could speculate. They liked to debate about the when and the where and the how and whom would God would come to. They liked to debate about whose sin was worse, the tax collector or the prostitute. They liked to speculate about the prophet's words and what it meant in some distant future. But friends, that was all tactic to hide away from the fact of their own depravity. Criticizing prophets and killing prophets was just a way that they and their fathers simply took attention away from their own sins. Because they never really faced their own depravity. They just self-justified. They would not obey the prophet and be baptized. They did not fear his words. They just came for the show. They just want to see the real sinners get washed. Luke records this. The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, having been baptized by him. Wait a minute. Is Luke saying that the religious rejected the purpose of God? They disobeyed God's word and sinners obeyed it? The whole purpose of the Bible, God's word is Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus said that. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have, co- I have not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. John's purpose was to prepare hearts for Jesus. And the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the baptism of John because they rejected the fact that they were sinners. If you reject the fact that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior, you have rejected Jesus. And so you've rejected the whole purpose of God's word and you've rejected all the law and the prophets. And with all their knowledge, the ultra-religious were actually in rebellion against God. They obeyed the letter of the law, but not God's purpose of the law. The purpose of all God's law and prophecy was to reveal God's mercy and love towards sinners through Jesus Christ. What made John great was the amount of revelation he received to understand that. He was given the mercy to understand God's purpose in the world through Jesus Christ. It was not what he did or what he achieved in his own self, in his own self-perceived holiness. Today, you will be even greater than John if you will simply humbly believe in the revelation of God's love for you in Jesus Christ and his love for others. Believe in God's purpose in this world, Jesus Christ. That God came in the flesh as Jesus to be a a sacrificial lamb for all of us to remove our sin, by to remove it forever by dying on a cross, on a Roman cross in the most horrible way possible. Jesus died and was buried. His own sinless body, he who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
He put sin to death, took away its sting. So now the grave can't hold those who believe in him. He put to death the power of Satan and he gave us authority in his name over the powers of darkness. And on the third day, he walked out of the grave and he gave us the promise of everlasting life. History proves that he was more than a prophet, that he was the son of God. And those that will admit that, admit that he is good and that he came to save sinners like them and that will turn from their sin and follow him and join his purpose in being merciful to other sinners too, will be forgiven and given everlasting life and they will be more than prophets. They will be adoptive sons and daughters of God and will share forever and will rule with him with a, a divine Eternal nature. John said, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with an unquenching fire. The wheat are the ones that believe in God's purpose. That believe in his mercy towards sinners. The chaff are those that reject it for themselves and for others. Today, repent. Humble yourself before a holy God. Stop speculating. Stop criticizing and stop debating his word. And humbly obey it. And make Jesus your Lord and Savior who will forgive all of your sin and give you everlasting life. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for your wisdom and mercy. That what seems foolish to the world is the power of God. to save sinners, to make them your prophets. You can take a foolish man like me and redeem him. You can take a small child in our Sunday school and make him a miracle. You can take any of us who are unworthy and do whatever you want with them by your goodness and power and love. Thank you for coming and dying for us. Thank you for your great love. Let us not ignore you. Instead, let us turn to you. Let us not speculate you about you. Let us turn to you. Let us turn and love you and be loved by you. Lord, if there's anybody here in this room, needs to turn and repent and receive your love and forgiveness. Let them do that today. I know you'll be joyful about it. I know that you'll receive them. In 
give them everlasting life. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right now here or online. We praise you, Jesus. You are more than enough. You are the Son of God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you'd like someone to pray with, I'll be here to pray with you. 